How many of you have um, heard of or read one or more of these books? Uh, Through Gates of Splendor, The Shadow of the Almighty, the journals of, that would be too easy if I gave you the whole name, the journals of Jim Elliott. You might not know it. It's a long story, or it's a, it's a story that dates back many years to uh, 1955, actually the beginning of 1956. Um, a zealous young Christian man named Jim Elliott, an American, had moved to Ecuador in 1952, left his family in Portland, and along with three friends, he was burdened to reach a group of unreached people whom they called the Aukas, which is a word for savage. They actually are called the Waarani people. And Jim Elliott and three of his friends uh, knew that they were taking a considerable risk in reaching these people because they were um, notorious for being um, killers of other people. They raided other tribes. They stole any white people that they'd come in contact with they had previously killed. But Jim Elliott and his friends felt as though God was calling them to um, preach the gospel uh, to these people, the Wa'arani. And in January of 1956, January the 8th, uh, they were speared to death by the Wa'arani. A week before, or a week or two after Jim had been killed, his parents received a letter in Portland. And the, new, the letter is written as follows. The contact is planned for Friday or Saturday, January the 6th or the 7th. We may have to wait longer. I don't have to remind you that these are completely naked savages. I saw the first sign of clothes this week, a G-string, who never had any contact with white men other than killing. They don't have firearms, but they kill with long chanta wood lances. They do not have fire, except what they make from rubbing sticks together on moss. They use bark for carrying their babes, sleep on hammocks, and steal machetes and axes when they kill our Indian friends. They have no word for God in their language, only for devils and spirits. I know you will pray. Our orders are the gospel to every creature, your loving son, and brother, Jim. In our sermon this morning, we are going to hear uh, the tale of three Elliots, three Elliot missionaries, and the first one is by far the most famous, and his name is Jim. And he is a modern-day martyr, along with Ed McCulley, Pete Fleming, Roger Uderion, and Nate Saint. And if you want to read their story or else see it on a movie, I would encourage you to uh, watch the movie called The End of the Spear. It's a very moving story and one that has a family connection with me and that I'm named after that man. My first name is James. Probably the most famous advertisement in um, all of history is reputed to be one that was sent out by Ernest Shackleton, the famous explorer of the Antarctic Islands. It is said that in the London newspaper called The Times, he said this, short advertisement, men wanted for hazardous journey, small wages, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness, constant danger, safe return doubtful, 
honor and recognition in case of success. Ernest Shackleton, 4 Burlington Street. Well, the word has it that there were over 5,000 responses to so um, uninspiring an invitation, so it would seem. Well, this brings us to our gospel passage today, which is Matthew chapter 10. And I've started out on this kind of a somber note because um, Jesus's message in this passage is very somber. He talks about the reality of persecution. Let me just set the context very briefly for us. This is Matthew chapter 10, which is the second major speech of Jesus in the gospel of Matthew. He has five major speeches which parallel the five books of Moses, because Jesus is the new Moses. He's the new Jeremiah. He's the new son of David. Uh, he's the son of God. Uh, he is the suffering servant. Uh, he fulfills everything in the Old Testament. So Jesus is new revelation from God. And the title of his second speech could be Advice to Missionaries. And this is his advice. Be on the lookout for men, for they will hand you over to the Sanhedrins and flog you in their synagogues. And I'm reading from the, the, uh, the handout uh, where I offer a translation, so it's a little bit different than your, your, than your Bibles, but read either one you like. And you will be brought before rulers and kings on account of me as testimony to them and to the Gentiles. When they hand you over, do not become anxious about how or what you will speak. What you will say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will surrender brother for death and a father his child. And children will rise up and speak against parents and thus have them put to death. And you will be hated by everyone on account of my name. But such a one as who as endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in this city, run away to the other. For truly, I tell you, you will not finish all the cities of Israel until such time as the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above the teacher, nor a servant above his Lord. It's enough for the disciple to become like his master and the servant as his Lord. If they've called the head of the house Beelzebul, how much more his house members? Therefore, do not fear them. For there is nothing covered up that will not be revealed, and hidden that will not be known. What I say in the darkness, say in the light, and what you hear from me in the ear, shout on the housetops. And do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul. Fear, rather, the one able to destroy the body and the soul in Gehenna. Are not two sparrows sold for a few pennies, and not one of them falls upon the earth apart from your father? And the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Therefore, fear not. For you are worth more than many sparrows. The word of the Lord. Well, in this message, Jesus gives us some bad news. And it's news that I find very hard to relate to because I have never been persecuted. But commentators and historians of missiology remind us that this is mainstay. In the 30 or 40 years after Jesus, people were persecuted tremendously. Uh, Polycarp is but one example. Polycarp was uh, the Bishop of Smyrna, 
and he was uh, taught by the Apostle John, so we're told, and um, he was arrested because it was thought that Christians were atheists. I mean, after all, they only worship one God. I mean, you might as well be an atheist. They wouldn't worship the emperor. They wouldn't worship all the gods that the Romans wanted you to worship in order to maintain society and please everybody. And so Polycarp was brought before um, a crowd of people in an arena. This was after the time that they had been feeding people to lions, so they decided to burn him at the stake. And the famous story is told of um, the emperor coming to Polycarp and saying to him, um, I uh, invite you to swear that you revile Christ. And Polycarp answered and he said, 80 and six years have I served my king and I will do nothing of the kind. And he was lit and burned. History, historians of missiology tell us that this is kind of mainstay for the church. Well, I don't know about you, but as I hear and contemplate this, I find it very hard to relate to. And so I have asked uh, a friend of ours, a friend of our church, who is known to us, who lives in a Middle Eastern country, and he may not give his name for the sake of uh, the security of his relatives who are still in this Middle Eastern country, but um, he is known to some of us, and he has been arrested and uh, tortured uh, and gone through many of the things that we've read about today. So um, he's joining us by audio uh, right now. Hi, everyone. Hi, my brother and sister. Let me start with the pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we gather together in this church, at this moment to share your word. Please help us to walk in the right direction. Today, I would like to talk about what we have been through due to our convert from Islam to Christianity. I had a very difficult life in my childhood. My father has been executed by Iran government and I grew up with the stepfather who was addicted and very strict Muslim. And he hated me and bothered me always. My life was very bad and I was tear apart and hopeless. And I called our Lord and I said, show me if you are there. He touched me by his grace with the help of brother Cyrus who brought me to Christianity. And I was rehealed and cured. But unfortunately in Iran, with the strict Muslim government, it is forbidden to follow Christianity or even having a Bible. With the grace and mercy of our Lord, I could marry with the girl who I love. And she due to our Lord miracle through me and her father acceptance for our marriage, she also converted from Islam. We faced persecution and torture through our beliefs. My wife, was threatened to be raped or pour acid on her face just because of our faith. They hate such a crime and they will overact for someone who is against their belief because they think they are protecting God and they can do everything to bring people back to Islam. In such a situation, 
when there is no hope, just we, call, we could call our Lord as a savior. It is not easy to put it on the work, but we purely and wholeheartedly trust our Lord. And he said, it is not easy to follow me. You may face a lots of problem, but I'm near to broken heart. We felt his word about persecution, torture, but our Lord mentioned, don't worry how and what you say in the moment, because it will be prepared for you from our heavenly father. With the grace and mercy of our Lord, now we are here in safe country. We can easily join church and rejoice among our brother and sister for good news of our savior. We believe everything serve our Lord plan and we should purely trust on him. As a conclusion, my wife and I, we both knew that this way could be very dangerous and we may face a myriad of difficulty, which was beyond our imagination, but we choose it because we kept belief to our Lord. We lose our homeland, job, property, family, friends. At the first glance, it might be like a disaster to lose everything overnight, but we achieved something invaluable. It is like a gift to walk in our Lord way because it is a way of eternal life. God bless you all. Thank you, our friend. Well, with that um, element of a more credible testimony than I'm able to offer by God's grace, because I haven't been persecuted, let's look a little bit more carefully at this passage together. I called the passage, Grave Human Troubles, Beyond the Grave, Divine Assurances. And in a, way, in a way, it's a mercy that Jesus tells us about the bad things that lie ahead for us because uh, a good friend tells you the good news as well as the bad news. And by telling us this bad news, he wanted to keep us from becoming disillusioned. So as sad and as horrible as the news is in this passage, it is riddled with grace. Did you notice that in this gospel, unlike the other gospels where this is reported, there's no report back from the missionaries. We don't know how it went. The focus is entirely upon the instructions that Jesus was giving originally to the 12 disciples. And the content, as we mentioned last week, has spilled over so that what Jesus is saying to the 12 Jewish disciples as they went and preached among the kingdom in Israel applies to us today. And it's applied to generations and generations ever since, just as we've heard in the case of our friend from Iran. So Jesus begins by saying, be on the lookout for men. Well, there's some pretty good advice. <laughs> our culture tells us that we're basically good and that we can trust people. But every parent with a young child knows that you soon teach your children that there are people that you should trust and there are other people whom you cannot trust and it's hard to tell the difference. Jesus begins by saying, be on the lookout for, uh, yes, he says men, but he would include men and women. This is one of the case when women are probably glad to be off the hook for being excluded. 
Be on the lookout for men, for they will hand you over to the Sanhedrins and flog you in their synagogues. Jesus was saying this prophetically some 35 or 25 years before this actually um, happened in the case of the Gentiles, although it no doubt happened in the case of some of the Jewish people who went around and followed Jesus' instructions to begin with. You will be brought before rulers and kings on account of me. Now notice that in this passage, there is kind of a movement from the general to the specific. It includes everyone. Be on the lookout for men. And then in verse um, 18, watch out for rulers and kings on account of me. And then in verse 21, we get to brother will surrender brother for death and a father his child and children will rise up and speak against parents and thus have them put to death. Our friend who spoke to us just a few minutes ago was betrayed by his first cousin, who was one of his best friends growing up. When it comes to matters of faith and religion, especially when you're moving from one religion to another, whether it be from Islam to Christianity or from Roman polytheism to Christianity, not even your family can be relied on because they're as inclined to betray you as anyone else. Someone betrayed Polycarp, who was close to him, albeit under torture. And then finally, we get back to the point where in verse um, 22, you will be hated by everyone on account, of my, on account of my name. So friends, the gospel is good news against the backdrop of evil in our world and a lot of bad news, right? But in the sovereignty of God and in the providence of God, he has often ordained that missionaries back their way into proclaiming the gospel. They back their way in by being persecuted as um, pretty much a regular rhythm. Now there are of course exceptions and we can be glad for that. The exceptions underscore the element of grace which can be found in this passage as well. Because as Jesus is giving us the bad news, he's also giving us good news at the same time. Notice at the end of verse 18, it will be as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. You're going to, be suffer you're going to go through suffering, you're going to go through persecution, but it will be as a witness to my reality. That's how it's going to work. When you bear witness to me, people will take notice because you're being persecuted for your faith. And then in verses 19 and 20, it's almost as though Jesus, out of compassion, can't help but bring any more good news. And so he says to them, oh, and by the way, when they hand you over, do not become anxious about how or what you will speak. What you say will be given to you in that hour. And the passive voice there, will be given, is not uh, some kind of a sort of a, a dodgeball tactic. It's a, it's a Jewish convention for saying that God will give you the words to say in that hour. For it is not you who will speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Normally in the Gospel of Matthew, the spirit is the one who helps Jesus. And Jesus assures us that the spirit of your father and my father, not Jesus' father, it's true that he is, but the spirit of your father and my father, which is also the spirit of Jesus and the father of Jesus and the, uh, a member of the Trinity, as it were, is going to be speaking through you. When our friend whose story I know, Fuller, uh, was um, telling it to me, he told me that his friend Cyrus, whom he mentioned, told him that God would give him the words to say when he was arrested. 
And as a result of the words that our friend did say, he was released. If he had said different words, it would have been the end of his life. So there's assurance here that in the midst of challenging us and giving us basically the ministry of Jesus, I mean, if we're followers of Jesus, think about what happened to him and how he saved the world. He saved the world, hallelujah, but it was not a pretty picture. I couldn't help but chuckle when I looked at the, uh, at the, uh, at the bulletin. There was one typo in the, last, uh, in the last chorus, and it may have been providential. Oh, we labor unto glory when heaven and earth are one. Oh, we labor unto glory until God's kingdom comes. So there's grace in this passage. Let me underscore it for you a little bit further. It comes again at the end of verse 23, but such a one who remains to the end will be saved. And then out of pastoral concern, Jesus even gives us advice about how to escape. When they persecute you in this city, run away to another. Uh, pretty good advice. Here's the wisdom that's coming from the one who told us to be as wise as serpents, as innocent as doves. Don't turn yourself into a martyr unless you have to. I mean, there's some times when you may well have to. When push comes to shove, you will not renounce Christ as Polycarp didn't. But if you can get away to a city where it's safer, get away to that city. It's happening a lot in our world, not primarily for religious reasons, but for political reasons. And it's right and prudent so to do. And then in the last section, verses 26 to 31, it is enclosed in an envelope structure um, by the words, therefore, do not fear them. Verse 31, therefore, fear not. Verse 26, therefore, do not fear. The word comes again in verse 28. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul. Fear rather the one who is able to destroy the body and the soul in Gehenna. And then after Jesus concludes by fear not, he capitalizes on some words that he said in verses 29 and 30, which are terribly tender, incredibly touching. Are not two sparrows sold for a few pennies? And not one of them falls upon the earth apart from your father? The very hairs of your head are all numbered. Therefore, fear not. And Jesus, you can imagine, is sort of, or as Matthew as he's writing it, okay, we've closed the paragraph off with a nice, therefore, do not fear, therefore, do not fear. But then in, in verse 31, there comes after, therefore, fear not. Oh, yeah, remember, for you are worth much more than many sparrows. So in the midst of this message of suffering, there's good news. The first Elliot missionary that we heard about was martyred and uh, was, was killed at a, at a tragically young age. The second missionary um, Elliot that I want to introduce you to are Bert and Colleen Elliot. Bert was Jim's older brother and less is known of Bert and Colleen than Jim because he was not martyred. Bert and Colleen Elliot went to Peru and for uh, almost 70 years they uh, went on a boat up and down rivers and they crossed towns and they crossed mountains and they uh, bore witness to Christ. And by the time they were done, uh, no one knew about them. They weren't famous, but they had planted more than 150 churches, 150 churches. 
So that's a, a bright and shining uh, light on the whole missionary endeavor, isn't it? So it's not always bad news. There is grace and assurance that comes in the midst of this bad news that comes to us about what lies ahead, very possibly for us as well. You'll notice that on page three, I've given us uh, a summary statement. Um, and I'd like to refer you to that for the sake of, uh, for the sake of, um, of, of brevity. The main statement is this. This is the takeaway, if you will. Persecution and suffering come from all sides to a faithful follower of Christ. They come from all sides. That's why the previous passage ended with the admonition to be as shrewd as serpents and as innocent as doves. Hardship is a mainstay of missional activity. To fail is more often the norm, humanly speaking, than to succeed. Yet, there's reason for hope, even in this passage. We can find purpose in witness being born to Christ, verse 17. People do hear about the gospel. We need not worry about what to say, for God's Spirit will speak through us. We find solidarity with Christ in suffering no less than him, verses 24 to 26, which thus far I skipped over. And we do not need to be afraid, for the truth will be known, and there is life beyond death. Oh, and often, despite appearances, God knows every detail and cares very deeply for us. Someone once said the best way to help bless this world is to bless dead saints and persecute living ones. This has been the story of the church throughout the ages. Adonira Judson was a Baptist missionary who went to what we now call Myanmar or Myanmar. Which is it, Pam? Myanmar or Myanmar? Myanmar. Myanmar. Okay, formerly Burma. And Adonira Judson was um, the founder of a Baptist missionary society, and he was thrown in prison, and he was put in awful conditions in prison. And he petitioned the king, and he said, I want to go and preach in a city. Will you allow me? The king replied, I will not let you go, but I will let more than a dozen other go, others go, because I'm not foolish enough to think that they're going to believe what you say, but I'm worried about the effect that you will have when they look at your scarred hands. You see, Judson had been beat up and tortured, and the king was more worried about the scarred hands, the testimony to his persecution, than he was um, to the message that they would be giving. After all, when you're tortured, people have a sense that what you're saying is something that you really mean. Let's take a look before I close with reference to the third missionary to verses 24 to 26, because there's a, um, a, a bit of a puzzle here. And if you understood the passage the first time you read it or thought you did, you're, you're a better person than I am. Verse 24 to 26, Jesus seems to be saying that as with the servant, so with the master, right? This is kind of like a proverb. A disciple is not above the teacher nor a servant above his Lord. It's enough for the disciple to become like his master and the servant like his Lord. So in the context of this passage, you're thinking, okay, 
Well, this is kind of like putting a ceiling on suffering. If our Lord suffered to the nth degree, we, his servants, are not going to suffer to more than the nth degree. But then comes verse uh, 18. Or, sorry, not verse 18. That's footnote 18. Then comes verse 25b. If they called the head of the house Beelzebul, how much more his house members? Matthew or Jesus, one of the two, is having fun with words here. You see, Jesus is technically following through with the thought. He says, if they have called you, if they've called the head of the house, if they've called the master of the house, Beelzebul, which literally means head of the house, well, they're not going to do any more harm to you, right? But then the penny drops when you realize that Beelzebul technically means head of the house, but it was used in popular convention to mean prince of demons. So Jesus is saying, you think that the ceiling should be set by the master. The ceiling is set for you according to the proverb. You will not be persecuted any more than me, whom they called Beelzebul, head of the house. But of course, Beelzebul means prince of demons. And it was a, a word that Jesus took particular offense to. Jesus later in Matthew will respond to the accusation that he was Beelzebul and has a, a powerful response to that in verse 12. So um, again, in this passage, there's assurance that it, it'll only go so far, but then comes this awful warning that in fact, we might well suffer more than Jesus. It is said of Simon Peter that uh, he was um, martyred, and it was Simon Peter's choice, so we're told, that he be crucified upside down because he did not think himself worthy to be crucified in the same manner as our Lord. And if that's true, so he was. There's an example of even his persecution going farther than uh, that of his master in one sense, at least. The story of the third missionary, Eliot, is John and Lori Elliot. John and Lori are related to Bert and his brother Jim, but even from a different generation. John and Lori Elliot are with um, OMF and they serve in Japan. They have been there for over 35 years. And listen to how many churches they planted. Zero. Zero. And as far as they know, last time I checked with them, uh, there wasn't one concrete convert that they were aware of in over 35 years of full-time missionary involvement in Japan. You think that's extraordinary, but maybe it's not. Maybe that is more the norm. My friends, we're called to be involved in missions, but we dare not measure it in human terms. God is working behind the scenes, as he clearly said he would, as a testimony to you and to the Gentiles. Missionary call is a, it's, it's an ultimate privilege. It's that to which we're all called. But God has a purpose behind it. And John and Lori, like many missionaries, like unlike many missionaries who've come and got frustrated and gone, they said, no, we're in for the long haul. What kind of a testimony do we have if Japanese people see Christians come, it doesn't work, and then they leave? So we're here for the long haul. And actually, John and Lori's son, Luke, was a student uh, at Wycliffe, and he and his wife, Yuko, have returned to Japan and are carrying on the tradition. So the story is not yet finished in that particular um, missionary episode.
So a tale of three Eliots, grave human troubles, beyond the grave divine assurances. There's good news in the bad news, as always. If we find it hard to believe in the goodness of God in the midst of such bad news, think of the disciples after the crucifixion. Folks, it's time to pack it up. He wasn't the Messiah after all because he got killed. There's no good news in that, is there? Well, of course you know there is. On the third day, he rose again from the dead and procured our salvation as a result of his being persecuted and suffering as the first and the most important Christian missionary. Let us pray. Gracious God, thank you for the warning that you give us of um, hard times ahead. Uh, we have joy in following you, but uh, as we look at the path down which you went and we see our trail following in its wake, we ought to be sobered. Help us to uh, have the faith and the perspective to be among those who remain until the end. And help us to have a perspective that there are worse things that can happen than die. We could lose our eternal life, which is found in you and in faith in you alone. By your mercy, grant us your grace. And these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.